Welcome to Australian Hiker, your online hiking resource. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 170 of the Australian Hiker podcast. And in this week's episode, we're talking about finding water on a hike. Now, when we're at home, we take for granted the availability of water. We just walk to the tap, walk to the fridge, or if we're out and about shopping, we'll just go to a store or a takeaway and get a bottle of water or get something to drink as we need to. When we're hiking, particularly in the more remote areas, the availability of water can become a bit more of a complex issue. On shorter hikes, we'll typically carry a bottle or a, uh, a water bladder of some sort and carry enough water to do us through for that hike. But for overnight hikes or longer day hikes or multi-day hikes, uh, we may need to be able to source water off the trail from natural sources. In this week's episode, we're going to discuss the options for locating water while on a hike, uh, ranging from the simple to the more complex. And we're also going to look at what appropriate hydration is for a hike. We hope you enjoy. Now, the first thing we want to talk about is what is appropriate hydration? Now, essentially, water is one of those things, along with air and food, that we need to be able to go through and survive. And while we can actually go anywhere up to 30 to 40 days, not necessarily in a healthy way, uh, without food, water is a whole different matter. And it's generally an accepted thing that uh, we, we, as in most humans, can go around about three days without having adequate hydration. Once we get to that sort of stage, we're not going to be too flash. Uh, and in fact, normally once you get to sort of the three-day period, we're getting onto the point of view where it can be fatal. And there has been uh, accidents in the Northern Territory over the last couple of weeks where a hiker actually did die from dehydration, uh, and that was only after a couple of days. But you know, with the excessive heat at this time of the year, uh, that's probably understandable. That'd be a pretty harsh way to go. Um, and quite, <laughs> I guess the understatement is unpleasant. Now, the thing that most people are concerned about when they're hiking is dehydration. And this is probably the thing that most uh, most impacts us as hikers. Usually it, it tends to be in a minor way, but it can be fairly serious if we're not paying attention. So dehydration occurs when more fluids leave the body than enter. Now, I said fluids here. It doesn't necessarily have to be water. Uh, I know a lot of people who rarely ever drink water at all. They'll drink fruit juice or fizzy drinks, um, but they need to get some sort of water or fluid back into their system. So dehydration at its least uh, effect can be fairly minor or at worst can be life-threatening. Now, the signs and symptoms of dehydration uh, in, in a mild case, you're thirsty, uh, your dry mouth or lips and tongue, you may have a headache, um, you might be dizzy or lightheaded, and probably the most obvious one is dark-coloured urine. And we've actually got our little chart 
as one of the articles associated with this podcast that shows you what the urine color should be. But you know, if your urine is dark brown in color, it probably means you are really dehydrated. That's pretty bad, yeah. <laughs> That's not good. And usually by that stage, you know, you're normally not starting to feel the best as well. So um, I think as, as an unpleasant a topic to talk about it, as it is, so use urine colour as being a good guide to um, how your hydration is going. Now, if hydration or dehydration becomes really severe, um, you can have an increased breathing rate, um, your heart rate can be increased and your blood pressure can actually drop. Um, you're producing little or no urine. Now, it's not going to be the case that you always want to, go to, want to go to the toilet, but if it's a really hot day and you're drinking lots and lots of water and you don't feel like you need to urinate, it's probably a good indication that you are either high dehydrated or you're heading in that direction. Something that's less common from a point of view but can be equally as serious is overhydration. Uh, and this is something that a majority of people don't even consider, particularly mm -hmm. in Australia's harsh, warmer climate. Typically, this is far less a common problem than dehydration and tends to affect endurance athletes, so, so people that are doing um, ultramarathons or long-distance running, uh, military people who are doing training exercises, particularly in the hotter conditions because they, they often tend to be carrying a lot of heavy gear, and surprise, surprise, hikers, particularly in tropical areas. And there have been a number of cases where hikers have died from overhydration. And the last one, and as there's a link in this, um, uh, the, one of the associated articles uh, that um, goes back to, I think it was around about 2011, where a number of hikers died on the Kokoda Trail in uh, Papua New Guinea uh, because they were drinking too much water uh, to avoid getting dehydrated, but they actually went the other other direction. And when we're talking about drinking too much water, I mean we're we're talking liters and liters and liters. You know, we're you know, um, and normal everyday um, volume. People say, you know, drink two liters of water, but we're talking about many times that, aren't we? Yeah, and uh, we'll talk about how much we should drink in a moment, um, but basically. Um, with overhydration, the problem is that you're actually diluting your blood system uh, because you end up with so much fluid in your body that your blood starts to dilute. Uh, and really the blood, when you think about it, is transferring nutrients, minerals, and oxygen to our, uh, our body. Uh, and once you start altering the chemistry of the blood, it's not going to help us. Um, so as unlikely as it is, people do die from overhydration. Now, I think, again, this comes back to um, urine colour here. If your urine, it looks like water, basically. It's that, it's that clear, almost water sort of appearance. Um, it's probably an indication that you don't need to drink anymore. Um, and use, again, use that as a guide. Because the symptoms of overhydration um, in, in its mildest form tend to be nausea and vomiting and headaches and mental confusion. Now, again, those that can be very easily yeah. confused with dehydration. And if you assume that that's what's going on and you drink more water, you're drinking more water. All, all you're doing potentially is making it worse. 
Signs and symptoms in the case of severe overhydration can end up with seizures, unconsciousness, and coma. So, you know, in this sort of instance, it's not a matter of giving people more water. It really is a matter of getting uh, medical assistance as soon as you possibly can. Now, we talked about how much water you should drink. Uh, and as Jill mentioned, the average, average adult should be consuming roughly around about two to two and a half litres of water per day. But that's in our normal day-to-day -day life. As soon as we start exerting ourselves, as soon as we start getting out in hot conditions, carrying a pack, uh, that uh, water usage is going to increase. And in fact, my biggest day of water consumption was roughly around about eight litres, but that was on a day where I was travelling roughly 50-odd kilometres uh, and the temperatures were in the mid to high 30s. So, you know, in that instance there, I needed that amount of water spread over a period of the day to uh, basically keep myself hydrated. What we've worked out over the last four or five years is uh, that as a general rule of thumb, in cold conditions, and by cold I mean sort of under 20 degrees is a rough guide, that I'll use around about one litre of water for every 10 kilometres of walking. And for me, that translates to roughly uh, one litre per two to two and a bit hours. Uh, and that gives me a good guide. Yeah, I don't use quite as much um, as that um, while I'm, I'm walking, but I will um, top up at the end of the day um, and, and at the beginning of the day just to make sure. Now, in hot conditions, and again, hot here is fairly subjective, um, but really once you start getting, from my perspective, over sort of 22, 23, 24 degrees, I will start working on around about one litre per hour. Mm. Now, again, I'll use urine colour as the guide, um, but you know, in, in hot conditions, um, that's not an unusual amount of water to work with. Now, let's move on to finding water on a hike. So we've talked about... Um, roughly how much water we're likely to need. So in other words, if you're doing a hike that's only two kilometres long, you know, you may get away, particularly if it's in the cooler part of the year, just maybe not even carrying a water bottle, um, having water in your car for when you return to the, uh, uh, the trailhead. Or if you are, you're only carrying a small amount of water, either you know, maybe a small water bottle or uh, a partially filled water bladder. And from my perspective, typically I will always tend to carry uh, water on hikes. Um, I'd rather have it there available uh, if I do get thirsty. Uh, and if there's any sort of doubt or if it's hot weather, um, you know, I'll tend to use that water because it, you know, really you're starting to sweat. And particularly in the hot conditions, it tends to be uh, something that uh, uh, you tend to need to, to carry with you. Now, my first comment here would be that not all water is created equal. Uh, and there's an image on one of the associated articles with this podcast of water that I actually collected not far from Canberra on the Australian Alps walking track. Um, this was in autumn. Um, I wasn't uh, uh, expecting to have to fill up from this particular location, but most of my usual water sources were dry. Uh, and... The water source that I ended up using was very silty and 
the best way to describe it was gelatinous. Um, this was a, this was a, this was a farm dam. And I don't know whether it was kangaroos or cows or horses. I didn't probably see, all of probably, the above. Probably all of the above, uh, but it really was. It was gelatinous. So, uh, you know, throwing a couple of uh, water purification tablets into this sort of stuff wouldn't have done me a lot of good. Thankfully, I always tend to carry a water filter with me, um, and I, I really didn't need to use this water. Uh, I had no other choice. Um, but yeah, it's it's the sort of thing that you know. There's clear running water. There's dirty water. And if you happen to be walking along coastal areas uh, and you're getting water that's close to the ocean, you may find the water is actually salty or even or brackish, and and may not be usable for drinking. So don't necessarily rely on the fact that just because there is water there, it is drinkable. Uh, and even if it is fresh water, you may still have to filter it anyway. Starting from the very basic from a water perspective on the trail, the first one to look at is built infrastructure. And by this, I mean either water uh, bubblers uh, and a lot of trails, particularly with national parks these days, particularly on the shorter trails, will often have water bubblers on them, particularly if it's one of the, the main trails within the park. The lesser known trails or the more remote national parks aren't likely to have bubblers uh, around, uh, so you're likely to have to carry your water in with you. Longer tracks, um, it's not usual for very long trails to have uh, dedicated, reliable, man-made water sources. But uh, as an example here, Larapinta Trail in Northern Territory has water tanks at regular intervals um, at the start of the trail, at the finish of the trail, and at a number of the locations along the track itself. So you can actually rely on that water being there. It's, uh, it's monitored by the rangers and it's topped up on a fairly regular basis. When we did the Larapenta Trail in 2016, one of the rangers we talked to said they don't like the tanks getting lower than around about 50%. Uh, and they, a number of these water tanks had water uh, sensors uh, that actually were connected to radio uh, antennae. Uh, that they were able to check back at headquarters rather than having to come out and check the water tanks manually. Um, so this this is a rarity when you're getting a trail over 200 kilometres that has man-provided water tanks, uh, but certainly it does make it a lot easier. Most trails that we do tend not to have these water sources available, uh, and you're having to rely on natural water sources. Uh, and this could be things along the lines of creeks, rivers, lakes, and dams. Now, first up with natural water sources, um, you need to know where they're likely to be. Uh, and really, from this perspective, you need to do your research before you go on these hikes. Um, it may be a matter of saying, look, I'm doing a, a two-kilometer hike. I don't need to worry about what water's there. I've got water in the car. I'm carrying it with me. But on the longer hikes where you physically can't carry water for two or three or four days, you need to know where your replacement water sources are. Yeah, and it's an interesting one because I find that it becomes a real um, serious focus um, of your day when uh, you you know you know that you're going to have to collect water 
along the way and you're not sure where it's going to be, um, you do become much more conscious and, and um, you know, I think uh, you, you are much more aware of it than perhaps, um, you, you know, your food because you've got, you've got your food, you know, you know what you're going to have, when you're going to have it, but with the water that you need to locate it. Now, options for trying to find water are natural water sources, and there are a few. Certainly you find these days the internet provides trail write-ups for just about every trail in Australia. Um, Now, not necessarily reliable, or you may be looking at reviews that were done four or five or six years ago on some trails, so you can't necessarily rely on them. But certainly trail write-ups, trail apps like the uh, Guthook uh, app. Uh, now, that as an app, that doesn't deal with a huge number of trails. It tends to rely on doing the, the larger trails in Australia, but it, it's quite handy to say, well, look, there's a reliable water source at this location. And there are other apps available as well. Uh, guidebooks, uh, and last but not least, topographic maps are quite handy. Now, with topographic maps, um, they're becoming less and less common. Uh, Our main source of map suppliers in Australia, which was Geoscience Australia, um, is in the process of stopping the production of pre-produced maps. Um, I think there still are some available, but most of them have gone now. But you can now go online and download maps for certain sections of trails around the country. Now, again, it's not going to help you for everywhere, but certainly provides you the ability to say, well, I'll download a uh, and print a paper map that I'll take with me uh, and use that to find water sources. Now, as a general guide, you don't expect to go up to the top of a hill or a mountain and find water. Typically, you're looking for water sources in valleys, in gullies, uh, and that relies on you being able to read a map to say, well, this is a gully, um, there's a blue line running through it, which indicates there's a, uh, a water source there. Uh, it may not be a reliable water source, but that's where you're going to be tending to look at. Yeah, and it, it, it's an interesting one because when we were doing a human hovel, there were a couple of spots where um, the water source was quite concealed with... Um, uh, overgrown plants and and um, grass plants in particular and um, yet you had to wade through you know in my case was knee or thigh high grass and um, shrubbery um, to get to the water source uh, the the thing that worried me most was what was hiding in in all of that grass, particularly the snakes, and uh, when you got there, it wasn't it wasn't the most um, generous flowing water source. So you had to really get in, and you had to wait, and you submerge. So sometimes it's a you know it's a bit of a scary thing having to get get your water. You know it's there. So it wasn't an issue in terms of wondering uh, if there was going to be water there, but, uh, you know, actually wading through uh, what was quite long grass to get to it was a bit of a challenge. 
Now, having said all that, we did the Aussie 10 walk uh, Christmas um, last year. Uh, and one of the things that uh, surprised me, uh, we finished the walk. The last uh, the last summit for us was at Ramshead, and this was um, we camped um, at a saddle that was just below the Ramshead summit, uh, and this was um, a saddle that was uh, up high from the valley below, and there was a creek running down. Uh, the that saddle. So it surprised us. We had enough water that we took up with us just in case because we weren't sure there was going to be water there. Um, we were aware that there was potentially water up there, but we didn't want to rely on it. Uh, and, and as I said, we got up there and found that there was a small running stream that was quite usable. So we did end up using some of that water anyway. Um, I think the other thing that you need to consider when locating uh, water sources is seasonal reliability. Uh, now, I'll give you an example here. The Australian Alpine area, uh, when all the snow melts, so particularly in, in, in early to mid-spring, even late spring, there's still a lot of water running from the higher hills through all the water systems, and water tends to be fairly reliable. I had spent a fair amount of time in the Australian Alps close to Canberra over the last five to six years. Uh, and even during the height of summer, there were so many creeks and little rivers and little streams that you didn't really have to rely on water. Uh, and even during uh, the mid-teens, uh, mid when we had a fairly serious drought going on, it just surprised me how much water was available when we didn't think there was going to be any mm. there at all. Yeah, that's right. Having said that, when I did a, a, a piece of the Australian Alps walking track uh, at Easter in 2019, um, I was surprised at a number of the water sources that I relied on or had been relying on for the previous five to six years that just weren't there. The big, the big streams, the big, uh, the big rivers were all flowing and they were all reliable, but a lot of the little creeks in between uh, were pretty much disappeared. Um, I made the mistake on the last day of the hike um, thinking, yep, there's a water source coming up. I know it's there, and I got to it, and pretty much it was mud. There was, there was, <laughs> moist, there was moisture there, but there was so much sediment in there you couldn't actually get water into the fil into the uh, the filter to actually go through and do it and this is why I ended up using the water source that I did it wasn't by choice it was just the the one I really needed I mean I was so close to finishing the walk but I really did need a drink uh, and that left me with a, a really dodgy water source so I think you need to be careful about seasonal reliability on hikes uh, and in some cases the water's just not going to be there um, and it may dictate that you do a hike at a particular time of the year to ensure that you have reliable water sources. Now the key points I'd say here with using natural water resources, um, there are a few things you need to keep in mind. Firstly, you need to know how far you're going to travel and how much water you're going to consume uh, and that's going to vary depending on whether it's cold weather or warm weather. Where possible, try and choose or, or source your water from moving water sources such as creeks or rivers or larger lakes. Uh, not always possible. 
always filter your water no matter how clean it looks. Uh, and I'll, I'll use as an example here walking through the Australian Alpine areas and that Kyandra to Tharwa walk that I did in 2019. I counted 200 horses uh, and just about every water source I came across, they had actually crossed it and you could see hoof marks in the shallower areas. Uh, and a lot of these horses are loaded with parasites, uh, worms and all sorts of other things. So again, even though the water may look clear, um, you really do want to go through and filter where you can. Uh, and choosing um, cleaner water that's moving is as a better option if you've got no other choice. If the uh, water is dirty, use a pre-filter, um, and it may just be as simple as a buff. So you know, if you so when you say dirty, if it's got lumpy bits in it. Yeah, yeah, so it might be leaf litter, it might be just might even just be sediment, so it's dirty with sediment. Uh, and it means that rather than trying to put uh, dirt into a water filter, which will then potentially clog it, uh, removing a lot of that sediment before yeah. it runs through the, uh, uh, the actual filter itself is going to be a better option. Check water in any creeks and rivers that are close to the ocean before filling up. You don't want to load your water storage container with salt water. Um, you know, a filter is not going to get rid of all that. So you really need to make sure that if you are choosing water or filling up from water, it's far enough away from the ocean and high enough in, uh, uh, from the, the water level at, at sea level that you're not actually collecting um, salty water. Brackish. Brackish yeah. water. Uh, yeah, and quite often it's not unusual to have these creeks and rivers that are sealed off uh, from you know because of the, the the movement of the ocean and the the sands blocking them, but the water behind it um, is actually still salt water. Avoid drinking water from water sources that are through farms. Again, they may contain contaminants from animals. Or, or they may contain chemicals. So pesticides, herbicides, you don't know if it's been used. Uh, and on my very recent short walk on the Great North Walk, um, uh, only a few weeks ago, uh, I came across signs in a couple of areas saying, do not drink this water. It may contain sewage or chemical contamination. So again, that's not a particularly good thing you want to see. And unless you actually have a water purifier with you, um, a filter is not particularly going to help you in that sort of area. My last comment would be is to know what your plan is if you run low or run out of water. And this may mean taking a detour off trail to a reliable water source or even stopping your hike if it means that you've run out of water, it start, dehydration is starting to become an issue and you need to get out of there. And if it's serious enough, you may have to set off your emergency locator beacon um, Waiting to magically find water isn't necessarily a good thing. Uh, I mean, you never want to be in that sort of situation, but if something's happened where you've just run out of water or your water bladder or, is, or your water bottle is broken and you just have no water, um, getting to a serious dehydrated level um, is not a good thing, uh, and that's really a life-threatening situation at its worst. So... Um, what is it you're going to do and when are you going to set off your beacon if that is the case? Yeah, and I think that's one of those things you need to talk to um, your safety person about, the person that's uh, going to notice when you don't come back and uh, talk through all the sorts of different possibilities um, and not locating water or um, 
having a problem with not being able to store your water, say in your bottle or in your bladder, um, is one of those things that's quite important to talk through. Now, if you are relying on natural water and there's any sort of doubt about the reliability of the water sources, be conservative. Don't just have enough water to get you to the next water source. Um, you know, if you get there and find out that it's dry and there's no, no water there, really you, you're then going to have to move on to the next one with the assumption that there's water in that one, which there may also not be as well. Yeah. That's right. So it's better to have enough to get you past that water source uh, and get you at least to a comfortable uh, fashion to the next option. And if the water reliability is that doubtful, look at changing the time of the year you're doing your walk. One thing you may find is that more so in the um, the desert areas, but it may be that you want to do a hike, uh, you know there are no reliable water sources, and the only option is is to cache water. And when we're talking about caching, we're talking about storing food or water uh, for future use. Now, it's not unusual to cache uh, food. So as an example, on the human hovel track, on the Australian Alps walking track, uh, there's not a lot of towns that you're passing through. So you need to actually go through and put food out to collect as you go go through. And that means that you're either going to have to meet someone uh, at a particular road as you pass, or you're going to have to go through, like we did with the human hovel track, uh, we went through and placed, um, uh, dropped off some food at one of the caravan parks, which was only um, two days in, uh, and then dropped off a batch of food in the middle of a forest uh, at a location that we, that we could relocate again that would carry us through to the end of the walk. Now, this is a bit of extra logistical requirement. It requires you dropping off. In our case, it was only food, but it may be that you need to drop off water. If you're doing that, the containers you're dropping off need to be, A, not obvious, so that people can't, don't find this and think, oh, I'll collect it and take it away. Uh, it also needs to be um, animal proof. Robust. <laughs> Robust, so it's animal proof. Um, and in my case, we actually went through and sprayed it almost a eucalyptus green colour just so it was really hard to spot because the, the bright blue colour that it was uh, was just a bit obvious. Um, whereas, you know, we basically walked off track around about 80 or 90 metres um, uh, but it was somewhere that we would obviously know where it was. Uh, and we basically cable tied this thing to a tree uh, just so it was going to be knocked around um, and moved by animals if they did happen to come across us. So you have to be able to locate it, you you know, hide it sufficiently, conceal it sufficiently, but also be able to locate it. And uh, we, we had a GPS waypoint um, and we also had some images so that we could recognise as we were approaching it, um, making sure that we were heading in the right direction. So, um, yeah, (laughs) it was an interesting moment when we went, are we in the right place? (laughs) And it's always one of those sort of things when you're caching, whether it's food or water, you get there and think, oh, it's gone. Uh, Now, it hasn't happened to us, but I have heard of people that they've either lost it and can't remember where it was or they've... um, 
they've put it somewhere too obvious and someone's come and collected it thinking, oh, no, it's, it's not necessary. So from our perspective, I actually put a, um, uh, a label on the lid uh, and covered it in a waterproof contact saying, we expect to pick this up at this date. Please do not remove. Uh, because if someone's doing what they think is a favour by removing rubbish uh, and it's actually our food or water supply. Now, as a final thought on this, um, basically what it comes down to is, particularly on the longer hikes, is to do your research. Know where your water sources are going to be, know where they're potentially going to be an issue and know if you need to go through and cache. And from my perspective... I don't just plan on how far I'm going to be walking each day, how where I'm going to be camping, um, if I need to do food pickups. I also plan about where my water resupplies are. And if there's any doubt at all, uh, I will carry extra water. Um, you know, in some cases, I'll plan on camping in a situation where there is no water source. So as an example of this, uh, Brinkley's Bluff on the Larapenda Trail. You're basically up the top of a hill. Uh, you get some spectacular views for sunset and sunrise, but there is no water. Yeah, that's so right. So you have to carry water with you, which is what we did on that particular hike. Yeah, so what we did, we carried water for the day that it took to get there for the overnight and then for the journey back down again until we located water. Okay, that's all for this week's episode. As mentioned, there are two associated articles with this podcast, and we'll put the links to those in the show notes, um, as well as a couple of other water-based articles that we've done previously that will be helpful. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.